It's good to have you here this morning, and I want to thank again the children for singing again, and uh, children all over the world that sing Christmas songs and Christmas carols this time of year, and it's a wonderful thing to hear from young people when it comes to things of God, and it's certainly good to hear from older people when it comes to the things of God, and uh, I want to just uh, bring a message, hopefully be a help and a blessing to you, to help you see the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, the eyes of the scriptures, and so Again, let's begin by turning the book of Psalms and uh, begin there because uh, the Lord is to be praised and glory is to be given to him and honors to be given his name. And uh, singing and praising the Lord is something, again, that all Christians and their families should seek to do, uh, not just this time of year, but all around, uh, all around the year. And uh, it's good for us to sing and praise the Lord. And I want to look at a few songs in the book of Psalms. Uh, again, that deal with this song, this theme of praise or singing. Uh, the book of Psalms is a song book. They used to call the song book, again, you probably heard that, the Psalter. And people would sing right from the Psalms. And there's still people that do that even today in some churches. In Psalm chapter 27, let's begin by looking at Psalm 27, uh, verse number 6. The Bible says, And now shall my head be lifted up, Above my enemies round about me, therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praise unto the Lord. This certainly, again, is a great place to sing to the Lord, to sing praise to the Lord. And so the Bible says here, we ought to uh, go into the tabernacle. Again, we don't have the tabernacle anymore, but we have the church. Uh, to bring sacrifice of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 47. Psalm chapter 47. I want to look at a particular thought here this morning, but I want to just consider some thoughts on praise and thanksgiving and singing to begin with. Psalm chapter 47, uh, starting here in uh, verse number uh, one, it says, O clap ye hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout and the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing unto our king, sing praises. For God is king over all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Let's turn to Psalm 135. I'm just looking at a few of these psalms that encourage us to sing and to praise uh, the Lord, Psalm chapter 135, and uh, let's look at just verse number 2, Psalm 135, and verse number 2, ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, who is to sing praise, verse 1, praise ye Lord, praise ye the name of the Lord, praise O Him, O ye servants of God, ye that stand in the house of, of the Lord, in the courts of the house of of our God. Who's to sing? Certainly people that are gathered to worship the Lord. Psalm 146 and verse number 2. Psalm 146 and verse number 2. 
It says, while I live, will I praise the Lord? I will sing praises unto my God while I have my being. As we consider some thoughts on praising the Lord, I want to consider this thought. And again, it comes from a song, Isn't He Wonderful? Isn't He Wonderful? We're going to consider this thought from the Word of God here this morning. Isn't He Wonderful? Let's pray as we consider this thought. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you again for the grace that you give us in salvation. Thank you again for the the sacrifice of your son sent from heaven. Thank you again for the word of God that is given to us to be an encouragement, a help, a comfort, a director to us. Again, here as we consider this thought, isn't he wonderful? I pray that each one would think on this thought here this morning and even take it within them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three songs, again, that come to mind when it has that, that thought of being wonderful. Isn't he wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Wonderful grace of Jesus. Another great song on God and Jesus being wonderful. Wonderful grace of Jesus. It's in our song book. You could turn to it. You could sing it. We could sing it but talks about how wonderful Jesus is, how wonderful God is. And then there's another song, He's a Wonderful Savior to Me, page 200 in our songbook. And these are all songs that are in our songbooks. They don't come from the Psalms, but they come from somebody's heart, I believe, that was touched by God. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Now, people could talk about anybody in any kind of terms. And it's certainly, again, possible for you or I to talk about God in different terms. But one of the great terms we find in the Bible here, and we're going to be looking at here this morning, is this thought of, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6 Let's start there. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a, son is, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Consular, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Here we see this prophetic passage that deals with the Lord Jesus Christ as being gift that was given, a child that was born. And it says here, the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful. It's not something we should question, but something we should understand. He is wonderful. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Isaiah describes him in name being wonderful. Consular, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What does wonderful mean? As I ask that question, and the, the, the theme of the message is centered around, isn't he wonderful? What does wonderful mean? It's one worthy of admiration or excitement. 
Jesus is worthy of admiration and excitement. We see this word used in the Bible. I'd like to take you to a few passages that deal with this word wonderful. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Going back there in the Old Testament there. We come and uh, see the book of Samuel. We see the king's uh, chronicles that follow that. 2 Chronicles chapter 2. And I'd like to look at verse number 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 2 and uh, verse number 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse number 9, it says, Even to prepare me timber in abundance for the house which I am about to build shall be wonderful, great. David's desire was to build a house that be wonderful, great. And so people would come to that house and, and see it to be admired. You know, the Old Testament tabernacle and, 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 again, the tent there in the wilderness was not something that you'd look upon and say, oh, this is something that's wonderful in a sense, unless you understood the meaning behind all the things in the tabernacle there and the tent that was set up there. But David wanted to establish a temple that was wonderful, great. Wonderful, great. That helps you understand what I believe the word wonderful means. He wanted to create a wonderful, great building for house to, I mean, the people of God to, to come to, to worship the Lord. Turn to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40, wonderful, great. As you think about the Lord, do you think about the Lord as being wonderful? Would you even add the word great to that? Wonderful, great. The Lord Jesus is wonderful, great. He certainly is wonderful, great, far beyond some building that could be prepared or built by man's hands. Psalm chapter 40 and uh, verse number 5, we see here, again, the word of God, use the word wonderful once again. Psalm chapter 40, verse number 5, many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And the thoughts which thou hast to us, word, they cannot be reckoned in order unto thee. If we would declare and speak of them, they would be more than could be numbered. The wonderful works. Someone says, how many wonderful works has God done? Well, verse number five says more than can be numbered. More than can be numbered. That's a lot of things that God has done. And wonderful things that he has done. They cannot be numbered. Psalm 119, uh, sorry, Psalm 139. Let's go forward here and, and uh, consider another place in the Bible that uses the word wonderful again. The wonderful works that God has done cannot be numbered. The wonderful great temple that David built for the Lord was certainly a great and wonderful temple. Is worthy of admiration and excitement. Psalm 139, verse number 14, we see the word wonderful or wonderfully used here. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. So think of things that are wonderful. Think of our body, how wonderfully hath God made it. 
It's amazing when you think of our body able to heal itself to some degree. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's just interesting that the Creator made our body to be able to heal itself. When I get cut, it just doesn't continue to bleed. It's not like an inanimate object. I mean, when you dent something or break something that's an inanimate object or an object that doesn't have life in it, it's damaged and, and it never can really truly repair itself. But there are things that God has made that can repair themselves, especially when it comes to the animal kingdom. There's animals that can regrow a tail. That just seems incredible, isn't it? I mean, cut off a tail? You cut off my arm, I'm in trouble. I'm not made that way. I don't have a tail. But there are animals that you can cut off the tail and their tail will grow back. The wonders of of God's creation are certainly to be admired. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. The word wonderful is used in the Bible in a number of different places, but here we find in Isaiah chapter 9, it describes a name that's attributed to God and to Jesus. As it talks about the child that was born and the son that was given, it describes him in the Bible as, he shall be called wonderful. In the future, Jesus would be called wonderful. This child that was born would be called wonderful. Why would he be called wonderful? I want to consider three thoughts on that today. First of all, Jesus is wonderful in his nature. There's no one like God when it comes to his nature. There's no one that comes uh, close to Jesus when it comes to his nature. There's no one like the Son. There's none in the same boat. This Son that was given was given for a purpose. And his nature is perfect. It's wonderful. There's none like him. There's some somewhat like him, but there's none like him. We can look at some of the best in the Bible. We can see them in different lights and different situations. We can think of Joseph as being a person that was willing to pardon, forgive his brothers. But think of Jesus, willing to pardon, forgive everyone. We think of Jesus. He's Again, that present that the world needs. You know, this world, again, is looking for the ultimate present to give maybe to some gift giver this holiday. But Jesus is what this world needs more than anything else. There's nothing this world needs more than Jesus. But yet, Jesus is not what this world is concerned about to a large degree. Isaiah chapter 9 here, verse number 6, describes this wonderful Jesus as being wonderful in its nature because, first of all, he's God given to us. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. Most that look at this time of year, they look at Jesus being born in a manger as a man. But we should be looking at him as also being God, being sent to us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. When we think about how wonderful Jesus is, we see that he is described here in the Bible by Isaiah as being the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The divinity, deity of Christ are often questioned. It's not easy to comprehend who Jesus truly is, but for us to see him as he is, 
You must see him as wonderful, as God himself. Let's turn to John chapter 10. That seems strange to us. Why would God come to us as a babe born in Bethlehem? Why would God come to us to dwell amongst us? These are all questions that people might have, but they are answered in the Bible. Jesus came to be a savior, to save us from sin. Jesus came to be that lamb to take away the sin of the world. Jesus came as God in the flesh. And certainly people recognize that. See here in John chapter 10, especially in the book of John, it's discovered that Jesus was more than a man. More than a man. He was a man, 100% man, 100% God. That's hard to understand. Called the hypostatic union. And that's a theologic term. You don't find that in the Bible. But uh, John chapter 10, verse number 27, starting here, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There's a lot of confusion about this verse in the Bible. But if you were there, I believe you would understand exactly what he was talking about. As the Jews understood what he was talking about. It says, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why would they do this? Because he was claiming he was one with the Father. He and the Father are one. He is God and the Father's God. The Father's God and the Father's great and he is God too. You see, after this, he doesn't step back from this thought. They are looking at him and they're considering who he's telling himself to be. We read on, it says, And Jesus answered them, saying, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews took him, saying, For good work we stone thee, but for the blasphemy. And because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Skip to verse number 38. Again, I'd have you read through this. You can read through it some other time. I'm not trying to cover anything up. It says, but in verse 38, I think it explains things pretty well. But if I do, though you believe me not, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Can you imagine a man saying, I am him and he's in me? Can you imagine a mortal man saying those kind of words? I, I can see why they thought he was blasphemous, claiming himself to be God, but he was telling them he is God. Emmanuel would come to the earth, God with us. He came to us in Bethlehem. And he claims here to be one with the Father, that he is the Father and the Father is him. Now that might be confusing. Again, I, I think the deity of Christ, again, is a bit confusing. I don't have it figured out, but I know the Bible teaches us Jesus was both God and man. We see this in John chapter 10. Let's turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now, the book of John, I believe, reveals this, shows this. Again, I believe quite clearly, if you'd read through the whole book, I would, I would say you come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is God if you, again, believe in the words that he spoke and what happened to him as he spoke. In John chapter 14 here, 
And uh, verse number eight, let's pick up here. It says, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto them, Have I been so long with thee, and yet ye have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou, show us the Father? Believest thou that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works. Verily I say unto you, I... Uh, he that believeth on me and the works that I shall do, uh, and also greater works shall uh, that these do, because I go to the Father. And it goes on there, verse number 14, it says, If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So much in the Bible points to Jesus and the Father being one, and Jesus being divine. Paul wrote, if you're taking notes here today, in Philippians 2, 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Being in the form of God. God's form. Didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. In fact, let's turn back here to John chapter 1. The Jews didn't accept this to a large degree. I'm not saying none of them did. We do know that the disciples did. We do know that John the Baptist certainly did. We knew uh, people in these churches that had Jews in them accepted Jesus as God and, and him being the word. But uh, consider here in John chapter 1, we see Jesus is wonderful because he's God with us. Let me say this. Secondly, about Jesus, why do we see him wonderful nature? Because not only is he God with us, but he is the word with us. Now that's amazing. John chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Who's this talking about? The word. And without him, who's that? The word. Was not anything made that was made? Verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the light was the life of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not the light. John wasn't the light. But he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which shineth into every man that cometh in the world. He was in the world. Who was in the world? The light. The word. And the word, word was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own. Who came unto his own? The word that created the world. And his own received him not. He's wonderful because the creator of this world came to us. That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing to see here in the scriptures and through, again, the light of the word of God that the word came to us, the one that was there to be in the creation, the one that created all things. He came to us. It's an awesome thought, really, to think the creator of everything dwelt among us. And yet the Jews never really believed in him. Does it shock us today that the Gentiles don't believe on him? 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't shock me. It, doesn't, it shouldn't shock anybody. But the creator of this world, the very word of God, the word, the one that will come back there in Revelation, came here and people didn't receive him. Let's turn it there. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. The word that's coming back, the word first came in human flesh to die for our sins. The word that's coming back was rejected to a large degree. And it's amazing that the creator of this world would come here to dwell amongst those he created and to be their savior and to be their God. Thomas recognized him and said, by my Lord and my God. We as Christians believe him to be the same. Revelation chapter 19, this word will come back. And I'm looking forward to him coming back. And I know there's a lot of believers looking forward to the Lord coming back. The mess that's going on in this world, the confusion in this world, all the things going on in this world. I certainly would want us to see the Lord come back. Let's pick up there in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11. The word is coming back. That wonderful Jesus, he's coming back. He will return. Again, either you believe the Bible and what he says about his return, or you don't. I mean, it's up to you what you believe, but I would believe the Bible because of all that's happened already. Uh, let's pick up Revelation 19, verse number 11. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes are as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, which were in heaven, sorry, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus. He's going to return. He's going to come back. The word that created everything came here to begin with, and he's coming back. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Did the writers in the New Testament believe this? You know, there are people that uh, so-called or think they belong to a Christian kind of a faith. And again, different names, different denominations, whatever they might be named or whatever they might be. And uh, they don't believe, again, Jesus is God. I don't know how they can believe this. Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, John 1. Keep those in mind. John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1. All of them reveal that Jesus is God. It's amazing, but it's true. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible or invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This is talking about Jesus. It's awesome to think about a creator, a designer that created all these things. That creator, designer came to this earth and they rejected him. 
that same creator, that same designer is coming back someday as the line of the tribe of Judah. As the king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming back, first of all, at the rapture to take his own to heaven. But later on, he's coming back to judge this earth. These are found in the Bible. Different passages put these thoughts together. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. He's wonderful as a gift given to us. He's wonderful as the God of heaven. He's wonderful as the creator. He's wonderful as a perfect kind of a healer that was here to heal people of the infirmities of the flesh that they might have, that some do have even today. Matthew chapter 21 here, verse number 14 and verse number 15, it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And the priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were sore pleased. There were people that were seeing him as wonderful. And it says here, and I have this underline, and they saw the wonderful things that he did. What were the wonderful things that he did? Well, you go back here, just back up a little bit. I'm not going to go all the things he did, but just a few things that he did just before this. It says there in verse 11, the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple and cast out all them that sold and brought into the temple and overthrew the table, tables of the money changers and the seeds of them that sold doves. He dealt with the crooks in the temple. That's wonderful. And he said of them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, and you've made it the den of thieves. People have polluted the temple. And he tossed them out of the temple. And that was a wonderful thing, I believe, that he did. It says in the blind, verse 14, and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And we see the wonderful nature of Jesus here as, as the great healer. As again, one who desired that people would worship God in spirit and in truth. He was zealous for the house of God. He was a wonderful teacher, preacher, healer, savior. Again, if you're taking notes, you can write down these two passages. It says in the Bible, Matthew 12, 15, and also Luke chapter 6, verse number 14, he healed them all. He healed them all. He's not one of these fake healers like they have today. Oh, I can heal you. As long as you have a headache, I can heal you. As long as maybe you have a broken leg, you know, these, these fictitious type of healers say, oh, I can heal your broken leg. He can heal anybody of any disease. He was amazing. He was wonderful. His wonderful in his nature. Secondly, he was wonderful in his character. Wonderful in his character. Verse number 15, it says, the wonderful things that he did. You know, a character is manifested by what we do. And you can see different things that Jesus did. You can see the truth being emitted by his mouth. He was wonderful in a truth, as a truth teller. He was wonderful in his love towards all people. He was wonderful in his compassion. He was wonderful in his obedience to the Father. He was wonderful in his patience with all people. He was wonderful in his humility. His boldness, his meekness, his loyalty to the Father. We can go on and on and think of any character quality you could come up with that is good and beneficial. And he would 
be perfect and wonderful in character, whatever character it might be. Let's turn to John chapter 11. As a friend, there's no one that can be a better friend than Jesus. There's no one that can be a better friend than Jesus. As we think about Jesus, he's perfect in his love for the lost. He's perfect in his love toward the brethren. He's perfect in his love as a savior. He's perfect as a shepherd. He always would show his love towards people. John chapter 11 and verse number 33, this manifested in his character expressed by things that you could see. Verse 32, it says, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if they had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. He groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how we loved him. His character is perfect. Loving Lazarus. Loving the world. For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10. Even with those, again, who are misguided, even those that are religious and lost, even that, those that had even betrayed him, the one that betrayed him, Judas Iscariot was, again, identified by Jesus as a friend, even though he was there to betray him. Mark chapter 10, verse number uh, 21, the Bible says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell what thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And he came and, and come and take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad thus saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Even though this man would reject Jesus and reject the way of salvation, he loved him. You know, it's hard sometimes to love people like that. They reject your message. They reject what they need for life. And we as people, we have a hard time sometimes loving people where they are. He preached the truth with courage. He cast again the, the corrupt people out of the temple. He showed compassion to all men. He showed again his love and his grace to many. In fact, let's look at Mark chapter 7 and verse number 37. Mark chapter 7, verse number 37. How would you identify? How did he do, so to speak, as the creator that came to this world, a God that came to this world, the son that came to this world, the wonderful one that would come to this world. Mark chapter 7 and verse number 37, the Bible says, and we were beyond measure astonished, saying, he hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. I mean, think about someone how amazing would it be to have someone like that today that could cure anybody and could help anybody and heal anybody? And yet they rejected him. Let's turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. They actually called him names, wicked names, like he's the son of Beelzebub. And, they, and, and, and called him things and, and cursed him and desired a murderer and desired a criminal instead of him. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34. His character is perfect, is marvelous, is wonderful, 
It's beyond, again, any character, anyone that uh, you know has. Luke 23 here, verse number uh, 34. Luke chapter 23, verse number 34, it says here, And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall crow this day before thou shalt uh, thrice deny me that thou knowest me. He said unto them, When I sent you with a purse and a scrip and shoes and latch it, chapter 22, verse number 34. I hope I got you in the right place. Uh, Verse 36, it says, Then he said unto him, But now he that hath a purse, let him uh, take it, and likewise scrip, and uh, he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished. And he was, that he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said, it is enough. It came out, and as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he was in that place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not in temptation. And he was, withdrew from them about uh, a th- uh, stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed and said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared unto him an angel unto him from heaven. And being agony, he prayed more earnestly. And uh, his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose uh, from prayer and was come to the disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, why, uh, why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter, enter into temptation. While yet spake, behold, a multitude. And he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to him to kiss him. And Jesus said unto him, Judas betrayest the Son of Man. Uh, son of man with a kiss. Anyways, you see in the Bible uh, Jesus and his character. You see Jesus in action. You see Jesus dealing with the disciples. You see Jesus dealing with those that are lost. As a carpenter, he was perfect. As a child, he was perfect. As a friend, a teacher, a brother. Here we find as a leader, he was wonderful. Wonderful in his character. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. And I just want to touch on this point as we close here. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful in his nature as a gift. Wonderful in his nature as God. Wonderful in his nature as the creator and healer. Wonderful in his character for all the things that he, he did during his ministry. And then finally we see here, wonderful in his name. Isaiah chapter 9, at verse number 6. His name shall be called Wonderful. He lived up to that name that he was given. Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. How was he wonderful? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. When it came time for him to die, he was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He certainly prayed. The Bible talks about that in the garden. Desired again if there was another way that redemption could be purchased, that He would not have to go through these things, but yet we find him uh, desirous to live up to the name given him. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 5. He was the Messiah, the Savior, that would come into this world. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, our peace, was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquities of all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, 
Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before shears is dumb. So opened he not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to, to grief, when he shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By the knowledge shall many righteous servants justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide a portion with the great, uh, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He is wonderful in his name. He shall be called wonderful. The wonderful works of Jesus, the wonderful redemption of Jesus, the wonderful ministry of Jesus, the wonderful intercession now that Jesus is in. His name shall be called wonderful let's turn to john chapter 10 i'm going to close here isn't he wonderful isn't he wonderful i mean we're just looking at a few passages in the bible that show the lord jesus to be wonderful the bible says here in john chapter 10 verse 11 i am the good shepherd the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep we love Jesus because he first loved us. We love Jesus because he gave his life for us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 7, Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? Eyes have heard. Uh, I can't remember the other words, but eyes have heard. Ears have heard. Some along that lines, isn't he wonderful? Let's close as we consider the word of God this morning.